especially uh, important. It's not like we're earning our salvation, but it is evidence of, of wanting to serve other people and having faith working through love. And that's what Galatians 6 is telling us to do, that we should do good to all people, especially those who are in the household of faith. And we should bear one another's burdens, verse 2. There are some burdens in life that are too heavy for you to bear on your own, and you need brothers and sisters in Christ to help you bear those burdens. And so that's the first thing I get from Galatians chapter 6. The second thing I get is that it is possible and a danger for you and I to become weary in well-doing. We can become so burdened with trying to take care of other people and help other people or serve in the church that we can get almost burned out. Uh, we can start to lose heart. And that's what he warns about in verse 9. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted in doing good. We'll reap if we, if we don't faint, if we don't lose heart. A few years ago, I was going to visit somebody in the hospital, and it had been, been some years since they had been um, to services at Flatwoods, and I was, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to try to figure out where somebody is, um, you know, emotionally, and, and whether they'd be willing to, to, you know, when they're in the hospital, they'd be more receptive to coming back, to being restored to the church. And so I started talking to this individual in this hospital room, and uh, he was evidently n nowhere near willing to come back. And he talked to me about how he'd been under every single pew in the church building, and he fixed all these things, and he'd done all this work, uh, and, he, and he, you know, he, he's done all of this stuff for the church there at Flatwoods. But by this time, he was bitter, and he... Uh, he didn't want anything to do with the church anymore. And if Paul warns for us to not grow weary in well-doing, then it can happen to us as well. We can, we can become people that serve the Lord at one time, but our attitude can grow sour. You know, the older you get, the more tired you get, you can become critical. It's, it's a danger that we need to make sure we don't fall into. There's an account in the Old Testament that kind of reminds me of this. If you'll go back in your Bible to the book of Judges, chapter 7 and 8, I'm reminded of Gideon. You know, Gideon was somebody that at the very outset of his time, he's hiding from the Midianites and he's threshing wheat in this little uh, wine press. And he doesn't know that the Lord is really with them because the Midianites have oppressed them for so long. And as you're reading through the book of Judges, the first few Judges are very... Uh, upstanding characters that uh, lead about a national repent, uh, repentance in some sense. Uh, they're more tribal chieftains than anything else, but they do militarily overthrow the oppressive neighbors that are around Israel. But as you go through the book of Judges, it seems like these individuals become more flawed and more like the nations around them. Well, here, we're not too far in the book of Judges, but we're starting to see a little bit of a difference, I think. And so we, we all remember the story about Gideon and his 300 men. And there were thousands of men that were gathered out to the battle. And God had shown Gideon that he was going to be with him. And God said, there are too many. Because they're going to vaunt themselves against me. They're going to say that their power, their hand had gotten it. And so they're going to glory in their own strength rather than in me. So he told everybody that was fearful and afraid to go home. But there's still too many. And so they went down to the water and those that drank the water a certain way, were set off to themselves. And the 300 men that God chose for Gideon to lead would be the way that they would 
uh, overthrow the Midianites and the oppression that they were exacting on God's people. And so we know about all that. But once we get into chapter 8, you know, the other judges that you read about before this, you might read, okay, well, he served 20 years and they had peace all the days of his life and that's the end. But we find some things that happen in the life of Gideon that show us that I think his attitude started to sour. Now, narratives in the Bible, sometimes it's easy for us to just insert whatever we're thinking on it. And so take what I'm saying about this with a grain of salt. Go back and read Judges and see what, uh, what you think. But it seems to me there are some indications in Judges 8 that Gideon doesn't have the humble, submissive spirit of uh, giving glory to God towards the end of his life. Of course, he is chasing these men, uh, and he comes to the, the Jordan River, and there's this little tributary off the Jordan River named the Jabbok. And right next to that settlement, he talks to some people. Before, before he gets to that point, there are these men of Ephraim that complain, why didn't you call us to the battle? You know, we, we wanted to have a share in the glory, which showed you God was right, right, about them glorying in themselves rather than God. And uh, Gideon responds in a very diplomatic way to them. He says, well, what am I in comparison to you? Scraps for your table are, are greater than anything I could produce. And so he is very humble towards them and he appeases them. But then he comes to these men of Succoth, which is near Jabbok in the Jordan River. And he's been pursuing these two Midianite lords, Ziba and Zalmona. And he and his 300 men have been pursuing. And the Bible says that they grew faint. They're exhausted and they want somebody to give them some bread to refresh them. And so in verse 6, uh, or verse 5, he asks them for some loaves of bread. Now here's an individual that's been doing a lot of good work for God's people. I mean, God has used Gideon to do great things. And he needs some help. You know, there are people that do a lot of good work for the Lord, and they, they need somebody to help them and not just be concerned about their own glory. The Ephraimites didn't really seem to have the right attitude. The men of Succoth don't really have the right attitude here. They said, well, are these men already in your hands? Then we would help you out. But if you haven't got the victory yet, we're not going to help you out. Kind of reminds me of, um, there's a mighty man of David that's described in 2 Samuel 23. His name is Eliezer. And he fought against the Philistines. And he was so tireless in his uh, fight against the enemies of God's people, that the Bible says that his hand actually stuck to the sword. That is, I guess, maybe his arm cramped up and he was not able to let go of his sword. He was, he was so hard in fighting against them that that's how tired and exhausted he became. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you've been trying to do whatever you can for the Lord and you take the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, verse 17, and you're... you're working away at it and, and you feel exhausted and you can identify here with Gideon. But you know, when Gideon is told by these men of Sukkoth, uh, these Ziba and Zalmunna aren't already in your hands, we're not going to help you. Something changes, I think, or you see a little bit in his attitude because he says, okay, when the Lord has given me Ziba and Zalmunna, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he did the same thing to the men of Penuel, the tower that was there. And so he becomes somebody that is exacting his own personal vengeance on other people and showing them how powerful he is. Instead of being the humble person that he started out as, that 
needed the Lord's help, now he's become big in his own eyes. It's, it's almost like what happens later on with Saul. You know, when Saul was the first chosen to be king and they were going to anoint him, he hid himself among the equipment and the luggage. But then later on, he becomes presumptuous and he starts offering his own sacrifices. And Samuel says to him, when you were little in your own sight, the Lord could use you. But now, now you're all exalted and you think that you're some great thing and now the Lord can't use you. And Gideon seems to be headed down that path. So just because you've been successful in the past at doing work for the Lord, just because the Lord has used you in, in some way in the past doesn't mean your attitude is always going to be right. You need to keep a check on your heart. So what Gideon does is he finds Zeban Zalmoni and he wants to shame them, so he tells his son to kill them, and his son is afraid, and so he kills them. And uh, the reason he does that is because his brothers were killed by these individuals, and so he's exacting personal vengeance. Now, he's still saying all the right things because he knows what attitude he should have, but his heart has grown bitter. When the people ask him, you become a king over us, he says, oh, no, I, I can't be your king. The Lord is your king, and that's the right answer. But, you know, right after that, he makes this ephod, which is something that only the high priest had. And the Bible says it became a snare to Israel. And, yes, while Israel did not show him the love back that he had shown to them, as the end of chapter 8 tells us, he seems to act more like a king. He has all these wives and concubines. He has 70 sons by them. And one of the sons of one of the concubines, Abimelech, kills the other ones and he, in essence, acts like a king in the next few chapters. And by the way, do you know what Abimelech means? Abba and Melech, my father is king. So they start exalting themselves and, and showing how great they are rather than giving glory to God. And I think that that is something that is a temptation. Uh, I think that that's why you had this happening in Galatia. You know, in Acts chapter 15, you read about Pharisees, certain Pharisees that believed. Now, we know about Pharisees. They were mountains of self-righteousness. But they recognized that Jesus rose from the dead. But in Acts 15, we read that these Pharisees said, well, the Gentiles, they're going to have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. I mean, they're going to have to do all the things that we've done because they're nowhere close to being as high and holy than we are. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 20 about the workers in the vineyard? This uh, landowner goes out and very first thing in the morning he hires these laborers to work in his vineyard and he agrees with them for one denarius a day. That was the day's wage for a, a, a working man. And then a little bit after that, about the third hour of the day, he goes out and finds some, some other men. The third hour of the day would be maybe our nine o'clock in the morning. And then he keeps going out at different times of the day, the sixth hour of the day, that would be noon, and the ninth hour, and then finally the eleventh hour of the day, that would be like 5 p.m., quitting time. And he hires some of those men, and so when the day is over and he starts paying these individuals, he gives those eleventh hour men a denarius. Now these men had hardly worked any time at all. And so the men that were, were hired at the very beginning of the day, they said, well, these, these 11th hour men are getting one denarius, so we must be, we're going to get some more. But as he pays each one of them a denarius, he gets to the men that were hired at the very beginning of the day, and he gives them a denarius, which is what they had agreed to. And they start to complain, and they say, we have, you've given us the same that you gave these people, and we have borne the burden and the heat of the day. 
And by the way, the Greek word there for bear is the same word you find in Galatians chapter 6. It's, it's the word for bearing this burden. They've, they've borne the burden of all the day, and yet they get the same, they get the same thing at the end of the day as these 11th hour men. Yeah, that's what they had agreed to. And the owner of the vineyard said, is it not, is it not mine to do with what I want to with the things that I own? I mean, if, if I'm good, why are you evil-hearted about that? If I'm gracious towards other people. If, we, if we're not careful in the church, we can start saying, well, I've done all this work for the Lord and this other, peop- this other person hasn't done that much. And we can get the idea of superiority. And when we start doing that, we start heading down the road that Gideon went down. We start becoming weary and well-doing because we don't think that we're getting the re- respect or the recognition that we need to get. And something we have to remember is this. Luke 17, verse 10, Jesus said, even if you did all that God commanded, you'd still be an unprofitable servant because you did what was your duty to do. We're all saved by the grace of God. And none of us can claim superiority over somebody else just because we've done this and this and this. Yes, we should do good work for other people. But let's remember that we shouldn't think ourselves to be something when we are nothing. Galatians 6, verse 3. We should... Uh, serve as Jesus gave us the example. So we have the good works, we have the potential to become weary or faint-hearted or give up doing good works. Let's just think for a few moments before we stop about the admonition to keep on keeping on, to keep on serving other people even when sometimes we get tired. Can you identify with that? Are you tired? Maybe parents, maybe you're tired of of trying to keep your children on the straight and narrow. Elders, maybe you're tired of, of trying to lead people and people keep going back into sin. And maybe you get tired after a while. Take courage. You know, it's not going to be that long before you and I are going to be able to rest from our labors. Revelation chapter 14. And that doesn't mean that we don't serve the Lord. I mean, the end of Revelation t- says that the servants serve Him. But the burdens of this life and the sins that are part of this life and the persecutions that we receive as Christians will be no more when we're in heaven. And so the big thing that we need to recognize is our strength doesn't come in ourselves. It's not something we can point to as, look at what I've done, but it's in the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Isaiah chapter 40 Verses 30 and 31, even the youths shall faint and grow weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, you have to recognize that the Lord is the one that ultimately gives you your strength. And you rely on Him and you give Him the glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, that great resurrection chapter ends with this encouragement that we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, when you're doing good things for the Lord, it's not in vain. Now, there's a lot of things that you could do in this life that would be in vain. Somebody could invest their whole life and and be working doing whatever they can to manipulate things in the stock market, and you know what? They could lose that all. A farmer can plant, and he can be working 
all summer for something and then he could have all of that crop fail. But when you work for the Lord, that will never be in vain. When you sow to the Spirit, you'll of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. You see, the rivalries and the bitterness and the jealousy that uh, somebody trying to put themselves up as better than somebody else, that's part of the, the works of the flesh that he describes there in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And so you and I should sow to the Spirit and not sow to the flesh. I think back to Amos when we were talking about him. You know, Amos was told by Amaziah, one of the king's servants, in uh, chapter 8, you know, Amos, if you really want to make money doing the preaching that you're doing, you need to go down to the south. Don't come up here to the north. They don't like that kind of preaching. But you go down to the south and there eat bread. Of course, he was thinking that the way that somebody would make money that way would do that because Ahab and Jezebel had these prophets that sat at their table and they were on the king's payroll. But Amos said, I didn't come to do this as a job to just get money. I, the Lord called me from being a gatherer of sycamore fruit and from being a shepherd. And so he came to do it in order to serve the Lord, in order to sow the, the, the spirit, not, not to get any sort of just physical reward out of things. And so I think that's why Paul says, if you have a good teacher, then you need to, verse 6, you need to encourage him that, is, that teaches in the word. You need to share your carnal things with him that's teaching you spiritual things. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. These people in Galatia had been plagued by false teachers, and they needed to uphold and help good and, and right teachers. And so we are going to reap if we hold on. If we keep on keeping on, if we keep on sowing to the Spirit, we will reap when the time comes. It's not going to be very long before you and I reap the rewards of our life. And there are things that you and I can do to help one another. You know, I, I think that we should emphasize that. You know, we, we talk about evangelism and bringing people into the church. But I'm afraid there are many people that go out the back doors of the church as well. And so we need to have a humble attitude about the way that we try to restore individuals, as Galatians 6 verse 1 tells us, that we ought to do it in the spirit of meekness and gentleness. You know, the, the word for restore there is the idea of mending nets. It's used of Peter when he was mending his nets, or sometimes in Greek literature in the first century, it was used of a doctor setting a bone or a fracture. But how are you going to go about doing that? You're going to do that with a lot of care. You're not going to come with an air of superiority and act like you're so much better than somebody else. You know, if you think you stand, 1 Corinthians 10 says, take heed lest you fall. And so tonight, we want to encourage you to be somebody that's sowing to the Spirit, somebody that's following the Lord as a, as a faithful Christian. What you need to do in order to become a Christian is to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Mark 16, verse 16. To repent of your sins, Acts 2.38. To confess your faith. In Christ before men, like Peter did in Matthew 16, verse 16, and to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Galatians tells us that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And so if you're not a Christian, you're not alive spiritually yet, you're not sowing to the Spirit, and we would encourage you tonight to make that 
a great decision to be committed to following the Lord. But maybe you have done those first things. And maybe you've wandered away. Maybe in your heart you used to serve the Lord, but now you're still showing up here, but you're just kind of going through the motions and, and you're just about serving yourself. We think about having the mind of Christ and serving other people and maybe it's a spiritual need that you need to brothers and sisters by your side to bear your load. We're here to help you along that line. Or maybe it's some sort of sin that you need uh, public confession and forgiveness of. We're here to help you along that way. You, we are not perfect people that are sinless, that are standing over you, acting like we are better than you. We're fellow Christians that need the grace of God, that need his forgiveness, that are here to help you bear your burden. However, Galatians 6 verse 5 says that you must bear your own burden. There are some things that only you can do for yourselves. And following the Lord is one of those things as far as the decision to do that. When you stand before God in judgment, you won't be able to blame somebody else. You won't be able to say, well, this person said this to me at church, or this person acted this way, or nobody recognized that I did this. That won't cut it in the final judgment day. And by the way, don't let anything that anybody said or any way that anybody treated you outside of the church or inside of the church keep you from being faithful to the Lord. You don't let anything become, come between you and the Lord. You serve Him the rest of your days and you be faithful unto death and you don't grow weary in well-doing because you will reap if you don't faint. So if you need to become a Christian tonight or if you need to come back to the Lord, we're here to help you. Why together we stand and why we sing.
remain standing for a minute. Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, Mark, thanks. Great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. Um, as a reminder that uh, uh, tonight at my house, there will be a high school and middle school devotional. Um, also, uh, tomorrow is the last day for all the ladies to sign up for the Pigeon Forge Ladies Retreat. Um, also, Young at Heart is coming this Tuesday. If you're planning on going to that, please sign up on the bulletin board. Um, August 18th is back to school prayer around the flagpole, and that will be at 7.30 in the morning. Also, August 19th is the fifth quarter football game from 9.30 to 11, and Friday, August 26th is game night from 7 to 9. Uh, remember continuing your prayers. Uh, remember to keep Hank and Lisa in your prayers. Uh, remember to keep Terry Haynes in your prayers, Kathy Walls, uh, Jennifer Baker, uh, Chad Judge's mom and dad and also Vicki Bowen. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in a conference room. Uh, you may leave and do that now. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. That song number 613, 613. Sing verses one, five, and six. Take my life and let it be Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this evening, Father, thanking you for all that you do and all that you are. Father, we give you all the praise and we ask your blessing upon each of us as we travel to our homes. We're thankful for Mark's lesson, Father, we pray that that as part of the body here that we can do more, that we can do better. Father, that we can open our eyes to those who are around us, that we can help to bear each other's burdens. Father, bless each of the college students as some will be traveling far distances this week to go back to school. Bless each of them and, and their year that's upcoming. Father, forgive us when we sin. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. 
And it's through his name I pray. Amen.